we are in chapter 12 of Leviticus. Remember that last week was about the dietary things, what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. And all of this, they're types of things. And as Dr. McIntosh says, we may say, well, what would we want to do with any of this stuff in Leviticus? And he said, because Paul says that all these things were written for our examples. So they're types and examples of things. And so we're going to see dispensational truth today in these chapters 13 and 14, and if I get to 15. But after he goes about the food, uh, everything had to have a double sign, the animal that was clean. It means pure in relation to God, acceptable to God. So it, to be clean or acceptable to God, it had to have a double sign. It had to have cloven hoof and chew the cud. If it didn't have the double sign, it was unclean for them. And that's a picture that what we say, what we do with our mouth, and where we go with our feet, the double sign. We may talk a good game, but if I'm walking to some place where I shouldn't be, see, it isn't a double sign, is it? Our walk and our talk should agree and be presented to the Lord. That's what this teaches. And the reason was in verse 44, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy. For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see why? Anything that grovels on the earth and the things that eat garbage, the fish that eat the garbage off the floor like shrimp. Well, it's just, he said, they are creeping things, and they were against them. Now, you can eat one or two, but be careful what you eat. I know today, we read last week about Peter in the 10th chapter of Acts, that what God has cleansed, don't you call unclean. And so today, these principles still, Gerard has told me if when he eats too much fish, his face all swells up. You have to be very careful. Not that you can't have it. You can have whatever you want today. But just be careful what you have. Then we come to, he said, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt, verse 45 of chapter 11, to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beasts and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature uh, in the waters that had to have two, the double sign, fins and scales scales to keep out anything bad and yet fins to move through the environment. We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And so to distinguish between unclean and clean, between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. Now before we start this next, we're going to see that God, not only with outward things, but he's uh, with inward, that we are shapen in iniquity. In Adam, we are all sinners. A little baby comes into the world, a sinner, and his mother may object that he's a sinner, but pretty soon she'll realize that he wants this or he wants that, and she'll realize that we are all bitten with this sin bug. So, Lord, we ask that you bless us today as we look at these things about childbirth and about leprosy in the Old Testament and how it can affect or have anything to do with what we think today. So you've told us that all these things, that every word in the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we can't just neglect it. This precious book teaches many lessons, this book of, of Leviticus. So may we at least scratch the surface. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So then after about the animals, then the Lord spoke to Moses. 
And Dr. McIntosh said, from the womb to the coffin, man wears the double stamp of defilement. So chapter 12 of Leviticus. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman is conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she shall be unclean. And remember David said in Psalm 51, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. She was a sinner, but we're all sinners. This is that root sin. This is that one sacrifice that was for root sin. There were five sacrifices. Well, trespass offering for our daily sins, and the sin offering for root sin in Adam. In Adam, we are all sinners. And we come into the human race that way. But Jesus is the second Adam. And when you believe in him, it changes everything. It just changes everything. God doesn't see iniquity in you anymore, but he doesn't expect you to go out and tie one on either. He expects you to live for him too. So then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. If a woman is conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, uh, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Always the eighth day looks into eternity. So the week here, and you know, this is another thing in my Easter book that I'm going over where they say Friday crucifixion, that tradition says that for the Jews, a day is part of a day. Well, if a day is part of a day, it destroys most of Scripture. What about this? A whole week she had. Was that a whole week or was it just part of a week? Or when God created the earth? You see, it just causes real mayhem as you try to study God's Word if a day is just part of a day. A day is just as we know it. Evening and morning were the first days. Seventy-two hours is three days. And 24 hours, Jesus said, are there now 12 hours in the daylight? and 12 hours in the nighttime. So this business of trying to prove a Friday crucifixion by tradition is just ridiculous, I think. So on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And I've written in my margin, man is an unclean thing, and he needs the blood of atonement to cleanse him. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days, We read in Luke 1 of Mary, 33 days later, she took Jesus to the temple and offered the sacrifices, uh, the turtle dove and a pigeon that she was supposed to do according to the law of Moses if she was poor, and they were evidently poor. She shall continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks. Is that just part of a week or two whole weeks? Two whole weeks. Uh, She shall be unclean two weeks as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering. Now that pictures the death of Christ, the whole person, Jesus, offering himself to God as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. Remember, that is what the burnt sacrifice, the whole burnt offering a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering. 
first the bird offering is Jesus offering himself for our sins. Then the sin offering is in Adam. She's a sinner. The woman is a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. A sin offering. And what was that to be? So the sinner needs an offering. Bring the sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. And the priest shall. And she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. Now, see, we don't have priests today. We have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's already made this covering for our sin when he died on the cross to pay for our sin. It, not more than atonement. He just totally eradicated sin by his perfect blood. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle dove or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering and the other is a sin offering. Turn with me just quickly to Luke chapter 1. And you'll just see this again. Because all through the New Testament, these same allusions to these different offerings are brought forth. And so we see in chapter 2, verse 21, And when the eight days were completed, see, that be for Jesus, he was a male child born to Mary. For the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, see where we just read it, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And Dr. Ryrie in his side note says Leviticus 12, 2 through 8. So when you're studying this, you always look back at these quotes from the Old Testament to see what it says back there. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, and then it tells more. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, though he was rich, Jesus, yet he became poor for our sakes. So like they were poor, they brought the offering of the poor people. He became poor for our sakes that we through his poverty might be made rich. That's 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. And if she's not able to bring a lamb, she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering. It means Jesus sacrificing himself to God. And the other is a sin offering for root sin. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. And I've written here, grace meets the needy sinner just where he is and just as he is. And that's wonderful to know that. Then this next, in relation to leprosy. Now this leprosy, and I don't know if they can cure it today, but it was an incurable disease and it always represents sin, root sin. Nothing you can do about it unless blot by blood cleansing by blood. So this is the discernment and proper treatment of leprosy in these next chapters. Leprosy in a person, in a house, in your clothing, evidently it spreads all over. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leper sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. The priest shall look at the sore on the skin of the body. They had to be skilled priests to discern whether it was leprosy or not, because if it was leprosy, they were put out of the camp. They had to wear something over their lip. They had to keep crying, unclean, unclean. It was just a terrible existence out in the desert. So... 
he shall be brought to Aaron. The priest shall look at the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it's a leprous sore. Then the priest shall look at him and pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white, on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin and his hair has not turned white. Do you see how the priest had these holy responsibilities, not how he thought about it, how he felt about it, but what the Bible says about it. What did God say about it? He shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. Part of a day, I just want to keep hammering that in. When God says day, he means day and he doesn't mean tradition. And so the priest shall look on him the seventh day, and indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Fourteen days. Then the priest shall look at him again on the seventh day, and indeed, if the sore has darkened, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It's only a scab. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. The washing in the Bible is always a picture of the word of God. You're clean, you're washed by the word of God. That's what we're reading. Well, what does Ephesians 5.25 say? Often, and we're going to see this washing, it says about how we're to live. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it, how? With the washing of water by the word. So there was a lot of washings, and it always represents the word of God. The word of God, it cleanses us. See, when we're washed by the word, we're clean. You see that picture language here? That he might present it, the church, Jesus, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. See, we're talking about blemishes back here. So the word of God cleanses us from all. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of Jesus' body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So now that we belong to Jesus, we are no longer in this other sphere of the world. We should live on a different plane, a higher plane, not like the Canaanites were living. These weren't the laws for the Canaanites. They were doing every filthy thing you could imagine, but not for God's people. And see, God's people are to be separate and be different. And Dr. Rowery says, if you have a wonder about what you're doing, don't. He said, if there's a question about what you're doing, was it right or wrong, and you have a question, don't. <laughs> He's very good about saying that. So anyway, he would be clean. Verse 7 of chapter 13 of Leviticus. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin after he's been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And if the priest sees that the scab is indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. When the leprous sore is on a person, then he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall look at him, and indeed if the swelling on the skin is white, and it has turned the hair white, 
and there's a spot of raw flesh in the swelling. It's an old leprosy on the skin of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not isolate him, for he's unclean. And if the leprosy breaks out all over the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore, from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, it's spread. A contact spreads. Sin spreads. You know, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Same idea. A little leaven in the bread makes the whole loaf swell up. And so if the leprosy breaks out all over from his head to his foot, when the priest looks, verse 13, then the priest shall consider. And indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. It's all turned white. He's clean. But when the raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall look at the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean, for the raw flesh is unclean. It's leprosy. Or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again, he shall come to the priest. And the priest shall look at him, and indeed if the sore is turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. Who has the sore? He's clean. If the body develops a boil in the skin and it's healed, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a bright spot, reddish white, then it shall be shown to the priest. And Dr. McIntosh says this is indwelling sin, working through the old sin nature. Uh, bad temper, <laughs> you know, it could be jealousy, malice, all of these things. They increase and become leprous if you let it alone. When the priest sees it, it appears deeper than the skin, and his hair has turned white. The priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a leprous sore, which is broken out of the boil. But if the priest looks at it, indeed there are no white hairs in it. And if it's not deeper than the skin, but is faded, then the priest shall isolate him seven days. And if it should at all spread over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place and has not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or if the body receives a burn on its skin by fire, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a bright spot, reddish white or white, then the priest shall look at it indeed if the hair of the bright spot is turned white, and it appears deeper than the skin, its leprosy broken out in the burn. Therefore the priest shall pronounce him unclean, it's a leprous sore. But if the priest looks at it, indeed there are no white hairs in the bright spot, and it's not deeper than the skin, but is faded, then the priest shall isolate him seven days, and the priest shall look on him on the seventh day, and if it is at all spread over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place and is not spread on the skin, but is faded, it's a swelling from the burn. The priest shall pronounce him clean, for it's the scar from the burn. Uh, if a man or woman has a sore on the head or the beard, then the priest shall look at the sore, and indeed, if it appears deeper than the skin, and there's a thin yellow hair, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a skull, a leprosy of the head or beard. But if the priest looks at the sore of the skull, and indeed it does not appear deeper than the skin, <laughs> Dr. McIntosh, I just written a note, this head leprosy could represent wrong thoughts, wrong teaching that we've had and so forth. The believer is pitifully defiled and isolated then from God's people. God wants him restored to his tent. So we're going to see how, when they do have leprosy and are put out, how can they be restored to their tent?
But if the priest looks at the sore of the skull, indeed it doesn't appear deeper than the skin. There's no black hair in it. Then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore of the skull seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall look at the sore. And indeed, if the skull has not spread in it and the skull does not appear deeper than the skin, he shall shave himself. But the skull he shall not shave, and the priest shall isolate the one who has the skull another seven days. Remember, this person is a saved person. This is a Christian out of fellowship. You don't lose your salvation. Once you believe in Jesus, you can't get away from it. You are born into his family. You're born into God's family, and you can't be unborn. You can't be unborn from your family. You may not like your family, but you can't get out of it. And so this is with God when you're born again. But how you live that life when you're born again really matters. And so the body, it doesn't need being born again. It just needs cleansing and healing. After we're born again, we sin every day. So we need to be cleansed by the water of what? The Word. Do we need to take in the Bible every day? Yes, because it's the cleansing agent. And if we don't take it in, then we're going to be deficient. Does the Bible heal us? Yes, it does. It's emotional and every other thing. We learn what God thinks about things from this book. So on the seventh day, the priest shall look at the skull, and if the skull, verse 34, has not spread over the skin and doesn't appear deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. He'll wash his clothes and be clean. But if the skull should at all spread over the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall look at him. Indeed, if the skull is spread over the skin, the priest need not seek for yellow hair. He's unclean. But if the skull appears to be at a standstill and there's black hair grown up in it, the skull is healed. He's clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. If a man or woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically white bright spots, when the priest shall look, and indeed if the bright spots on the skin of the body are dull white, it's a white spot that grows on the skin. He's clean. As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he's bald, but he's clean. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he's bald on the forehead, but he's clean. And if there is a bald head or bald forehead or a reddish white sore, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall look at it. Indeed, if the swelling of the sore is reddish white on his bald head or his bald forehead, as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, he's a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His habitation shall be outside the camp. See, how long are you going to be out there until the whole thing is cleared up? But what a sad state of affairs to be outside alone, outside the camp, away from your family, away from your friends, away from God. Also, if a garment has a leprous plague in it, so... Whether it is in a woolen garment or a linen garment, whether it's in the warp or woof of linen or whether in leather or anything made of leather, and if the plague is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, whether in the warp or in the woof or in anything made of leather, it's a leprous plague and shall be shown to the priest. The priest shall look at the plague, isolate that which has the plague seven days, and he shall look at the plague on the seventh day. If the plague is spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, 
in the leather or in anything made of leather, the plague is an active leprosy, it's unclean. He shall therefore burn that garment which is in the plague, whether warp or woof or wool or linen or anything of leather, for it's an active leprosy, it shall be burned in the fire. But if the priest looks and indeed the plague has not spread in the garment, either in the warp or the woof, or in anything made of leather, then the priest shall command they wash the thing in which is the plague, he shall isolate it another seven days. Then the priest shall look at the plague after it's been washed, and indeed if the plague hasn't changed its color, though the plague has not spread, it's unclean, and you shall burn it in the fire, it continues eating away, whether the damage is outside or inside. If the priest looks and indeed the plague has faded after washing it, then he shall tear it out of the garment whether out of the warp or out of the woof or out of the leather. But if it appears again in the garment, either in the warp or the woof or in anything made of leather, it's a spreading plague. You shall burn with fire that which is in the plague. But, he said, washing, if you wash the garment, either warp or woof or whatever is made of leather, if the plague has disappeared from it, then it shall be washed a second time and it shall be clean. This is the law of the leprous plague in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or woof, or in anything made of leather to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. So Dr. McIntosh says in concerning the washing or action of the word upon man's habits, but if the sin evil continues, then the whole thing must be condemned and set aside. When you wash a thing and you're clean, then don't go back and do it again. See, when you're forgiven. You know First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. See, from all iniquity. We're clean then, but we're supposed to change our way as much as we can, and then when we fail again, we confess again. Jude 23 talks, unspotted by the flesh. Uh, James 1.27, unspotted by the word. See, the Bible just keeps talking about these things. The believer's possessions, occupation, and associations. Uh, the believer is to be clean in his associations, in all of these things. His possessions, his occupation, all of these things. Then chapter 14, cleansing for leprosy. Uh, he said, may we carefully guard against every form of defilement, whether in habit or association. Then God's cleansing is a picture of God's grace. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Romans chapter 4, write in your Bible because this is about that same thing. This is the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp. See, he's been put out of the camp saying, unclean, unclean. And if the priest shall look, and indeed if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds. Now, two birds. Two living birds. They're clean. They're pure before God. Cedar wood he has to take. Scarlet and hyssop. And cedar were the, the cedars of Lebanon were beautiful high trees, gorgeous things. But the hyssop was a lowly plant that grew out of the rocks. So he would take all of these three things, the clean birds, two of them, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop, and the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water to cleanse it in an earthen vessel. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird, the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. So they'd have to dip it into the earthen vessel 
And so the living bird now would have the blood of the dead bird on him. And he will have the running water over him, and he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy. So after they do this with the bird, then it has to be sprinkled on the person who has leprosy. And he shall sprinkle it seven times who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in an open field, risen and ascended, gone. And so this is a picture of death, burial, and resurrection in the Old Testament. Dr. McIntosh probably has written 10 pages on this, and it's very wonderful to read and think about. He is to be cleansed, shall wash his clothes, shave off all of his hair, and wash himself in water that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. He's clean the first day, but they have to check and make sure. So he has to stay out begin to cleanse himself, cleanse his habits, and see. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour. You remember the lamb pictured Jesus as the lamb, the substitute for our sin, and the ephah of fine flour pictured Jesus in his perfect humanity, mixed with oil. The oil pictures the Holy Spirit as a grain offering and one log of oil. The oil always pictures the Holy Spirit. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering, which would be 1 John 1, 9. It's our daily sins that we commit. He'll offer it as a personal sin. Just write personal sins on the trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering as a holy place. You know, it would be something to be in Aaron's family as a priest to have to know all of this and have all this down in your mind exactly because it had to be exactly like God said. God is very, very precise. When he says something, he means it. And that's why we need to read this Bible and really pay attention to it. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil, pour it on the palm of his own hand, left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that's in the left hand, shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, the leper, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on top of the blood of the trespass offering, personal sin. So all of this... The cleansing by Jesus' blood over all of this, that's what it means. The rest of the oil that's in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. I've written here the action of the water of, of the word on character, habits, ways, so that not only before the Lord are we clean, but before the congregation. He's morally fit for a place in the assembly after he does all of this. Then the priest shall offer the sin offering, which is for root sin, and make atonement for him, who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. So first of all, he has to take care of root sin. Then he's going to offer on top of it the burnt offering, which pictures Jesus dying, paying for all of our sins. 
and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar, so the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But if he's poor and cannot afford it, then he shall take one male lamb as a trespass offering for him, one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a log of oil, and two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, such as he is able to afford. One shall be a sin offering for root sin, and the other a burnt offering for covering all sin. And he shall, for what Jesus did in presenting himself as a whole burnt offering, he shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day for his cleansing, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the trespass offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb of the trespass offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own hand. Then the priest shall sprinkle with his right hand some of the oil that's in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the tip of the right ear, of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Second Corinthians 7, 1 says, having these promises that we have in the church age, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So see, all of this is brought into the New Testament to cleanse about cleaning and about confession of sin and getting rid of it. And on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his right foot, on the place of the blood of the trespass offering, the rest of the oil that is on the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer one of the turtle doves or young pigeons, such as he can afford, such as he is able to afford. The one is a sin offering, the other is a burnt offering with the grain offering. He could use birds instead if he's poor. So the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. This is the law for one who had a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you have come into the land of Canaan, now he's talking about not down here at Sinai, but after we get up in the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, because they didn't live in houses down there in the wilderness, but they would live in houses up in Canaan. Uh, but when you get to Canaan, and I put a leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, it seems to me that there's some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command, they empty the house before the priest goes into it, and look at the plague, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in to look at the house. And he shall look at the plague. Indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house, with ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house, shut up the house seven days, and the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And indeed, if the plague is spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And they shall cause the house to be scraped inside, all around, and the dust that they scrape off, they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Not the whole house is condemned, but the removal of the leper stones, like in 1 Corinthians 5. What were they to do? See, the house represents the whole assembly of God, the church of God. So Paul says in Corinth, there was every 
aberrant thing that you could think of going on in Corinth. And Paul says there's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, you Christians in the church there. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, incest. And you're puffed up and haven't rather mourned that who has done this thing might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present concerning him who has so done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one, this man, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's a saved person, but he may just die the sin unto death. Just turn him over to the devil. Your glorying is not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you're truly the unleavened ones. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. They couldn't have any leaven in their house or in their food for Passover week. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Do you see the type here? God says unleavened bread speaks of sincerity and truth. Leaven speaks of sin and wickedness. I wrote you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet, I certainly didn't mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since then you need to go out of the world. I imagine that's where priests and monks have these places where they would just be all by themselves, but they take with them their own sin nature right into these places. I have a book by Father Shinnecke that is just life-transforming to read about a monk that was in a monastery for many, many years and how he came to know the Lord and how he remembered all of the foolish, sinful things these people in the monastery did. Like they would, some would hide under the table to trip as they'd go in to eat dinner. You know, foolish, childish things as well as other, <laughs> other, other worse things that they would do. But so you can't get in a monastery or what is it they have for women? A cloister or something like that where you can get away from everything forget it you can't get away from your old sin nature your root sin and so he said you can't get away from them for what have I to do with judging those who are outside unbelievers you must judge those who are inside but those who are outside God judges therefore put away from yourselves that wicked person so get that man out of there. Well, then Paul wrote Second Corinthians because the fellow confessed his sin and got right with the Lord. His leprosy was gone, so to speak, and they wouldn't take him back in. Isn't that just like human nature? He was ready to come back in. He was cleansed, and he couldn't go back in his tent, so to speak. So Paul said, do you want to destroy him completely? You take him back if he's confessed and he's clean before the Lord. So all of that is in here. 1 John 5, 6. Well, here, another place for believers are sin. You don't lose your salvation, but in the church or in the assembly, in the house of God, there can be all kinds of sin, as we read in the churches of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, right to the angel of the church at Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And he said, I know your works, your patience, 
you hate those who are evil, and you've tested those who say they're apostles and aren't and found them liars. You've persevered and have patience. See, God keeps track of everything in our life, of the good and the bad. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. They didn't love Jesus like they did at first. Remember, therefore, from whence you're fallen, and repent and do the first work. Otherwise, I'm going to come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, which was the church, from its place, unless you repent. This you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And in First John, we read that who is he that overcomes? Just remember this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're an overcomer. And you'll get to eat of the tree of life someday, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Isn't that going to be wonderful to look forward to? Then the church at Smyrna is the only one that not anything bad was said about. But Pergamum, the third one, to the angel of the church at Pergamus write, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. In other words, he's going to judge. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Evidently, in all of our world, every year, every, I don't know, every generation, there's a place where Satan has his throne. Now, you can judge where it is today. It's going to be in Iraq during the tribulation. And it was there earlier, but Pergamus, it was probably in Rome then. These things says he who has a sharp sword. I know your works where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name, and you didn't deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Now, these are believers in the house, in the assembly, but he keeps track of the good and the bad in our lives. He said, I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And see, Balaam was a true believer, a priest, but he was a Gentile that Balak, he was the king of Moab, brought to curse the Israelites who were coming up from Mount Sinai into their land and they passing Moab and Moab was scared to death with the three million people coming up near his property. And so he hired this Balaam to curse them because that's what he could do. He was a prophet that could do that. And so several times he said, maybe seven times, he said, how can I curse what God has cursed? And then he said, God has blessed them. And he said, and besides that, Balak, do you want me to tell you what the Jews are going to do to your people in the last days? And then he tells them. But he did this other thing, too, that was very bad. He taught them to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. And that's when they had a terrible a judgment in the camp, and Balak was killed along with many others. The princess of Moab was killed, worshiping Baal. And all of this sexual immorality is evident in heathen worship. It's sexual perversion and you find this true not only in cults in America but all over the world sexual perversion is part of it that was part of it so thus you have those who hold the doctrine also of the Nicolaitans which things I hate repent probably they were setting a pope up over them a leader over them that you have to do exactly what he said Nico is, is victory they had the winged victory of Nike 
and laity would be victory over the people. Now that could be setting a man up over the people. So repent. So that was another one. But if you overcome, if you're a believer, I'll give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now see, he talks about the manna again that we saw about in Exodus. So evidently there's hidden manna in heaven that someday we'll eat. And I'll give him a white stone. You remember in the breastplate of the high priest, there was a dark stone and a light stone, and that he could determine yes or no answers, or maybe they spoke even. And the white stone elects and the black stone rejects. It's like in, in all of the secret societies today. So uh, a white stone on which is a new name written, which no one knows except himself who receives it. Then in Thyatira, notice the things that were wrong in that church. Eyes of flame of fire. This is God who says, and his feet like fine brass. I'm going to judge you. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and beguile my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Just like Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, was such a wicked, wicked queen, evidently, probably in every generation, there's some woman comes along that claims to be a prophetess that would teach immorality. Even men that come like Jim Jones, immorality, oh, and drinking poison. See, it's, this is how Satan loves to take down the human race and rub them in the ground. He just hates humanity and hates God. But he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches or in the assembly or in the house. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone. Then Thyatira. Oh, here we got that one about Jezebel. It said, she gets my servants to commit sexual immorality, verse 20, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she didn't repent. Indeed, I'll cast her into a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. And that's an interesting verse to remember. Each one of Christians, he will give each one of us according to our works. And in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, we'll all be before the judgment seat of Christ and have our production in the Christian life evaluated, not whether we go to heaven or not. That's settled when you believe in Jesus. But rewards that God has for his believers. And so he's going to reward whether gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or stubble. You don't want wood, hay, and stubble. You want have things that are enduring that would please the Lord when we see him. Because he has eyes of fire. He knows the truth about us. So we need to put out of our lives anything that would be unpleasing to him. He who overcomes, I'll give power over the nations when Jesus is going to rule them with a rod of iron. And then the next one, Sardis. It's a sad story. And the last one is Laodicea, which is they've left their first love, and uh, he chastens those that are not doing what he wants them to do. Another place that I want us to see is Psalm 119, before we go back about the house being cleansed. Turn to Psalm 119. This whole psalm, try to read it before you go to bed tonight and underline the things that are so wonderful. 
Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Because they walk according to the Bible. You blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. And then how can a young man cleanse his way, verse 9? By taking heed according to your word. See, how can he cleanse his way? Well, what's the cleansing agent? The word of God. So a young man, with my whole heart I've sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your way. Teach me. Open my eyes, he said, in verse 18, that I may see wondrous things out of your law. Then he moves on in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. In verse 47, I will meditate on your statutes. This is wonderful to think of. Then he said in verse 57, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words and entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. And then in verse 65, O Lord, according to your word, teach me good judgment and knowledge. See, that's what we need. For I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, See, like that man that was cast out of Corinth, he was afflicted when he was cast out. But he said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. He confessed it. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. I delight in your law. For 71, it's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes, so forth. Then he goes down... Verse 83, I don't forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? So forth. And then the eternal, unchangeable steadfastness of the word forever. Verse 89, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. They're all your servants, everything you've created said, I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimony. You know, we know today that the devil's like a roaring lion walking around seeing, seeing where you have a weak spot so he can get you or me. And then he said, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day, and so forth. Then your word is a lamp to my feet, verse 105, and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed. I will keep your righteous judgments, so forth. Then I love this last verse, 120. You know what the fear of the Lord is? That my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. See, we need to have the fear of the Lord. And so for these people that just say it's, it's not really feared. If your flesh trembles, then you're fearing, aren't you? So it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So live for him. Do what he wants you to do so you aren't under his judgment. Then he says in verse 47, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. That's what he's saying. Verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. And so it goes on, all my ways are before you, it says, verse 168. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before He knows all about us, doesn't he? So back to our passage as we close today. If the plague spread in the house, it's an act of leprosy. 
Don't let it spread in the church or defiled. Contact defiled. So he'll break down the house with stones and so forth, carry it outside. Moreover, verse 46, he who goes into the house at all while it's shut up shall be unclean until evening. And who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes. And he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and looks at it, indeed the plague is not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed. So we see that contact with evil defiles us. So let's try to stay away from it. And he shall take and cleanse the house, two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. He shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. And he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, the living bird, dip them in the blood of the slain bird in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. So this is the cleansing of the church. He shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water, the living bird, with the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. For this is the law for a leprous score and skull, for the leprosy of a garment and of a house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. Now there's one verse in 1 John 5, 6. It's been a hard thing for me to understand all the years of my Christianity, but I couldn't understand this until now I see it, the truth of it in Leviticus. So it says, chapter 5 in closing, 1 John 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot him, also loves him who is begotten of him. So we love one another as well as God. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he. Here's the verse. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Now see, with Leviticus, we can understand what this verse means. The cleansing water of the word and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came by water, the water of the word, and by blood. Not only by water, but water and blood. And it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three who bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. See, the Father... God the Father, Jesus is the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth. The Holy Spirit, the water of the Word of God, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is from that Leviticus. So there are three that agree on earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made God a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, you tell if a person has leprosy, you don't have life. See, you're, you're, you're a sinner. 
it all fits in with, with Leviticus. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We ask that you would bless us as we consider to see these laws and how they apply to us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.